Chapter Twenty Five of The Stones of Venice, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. The Stones of Venice, Volume One by John Ruskin. Chapter Twenty Five The Base. We know now as much as is needful respecting the methods of minor and universal decorations which were distinguished in chapter twenty two three from the ornament which has special relation to particular parts this local ornament which it will be remembered we arranged in two of the same chapter under five heads we have next under those heads to consider and first the ornament of the bases both of walls and shafts it was noticed in our account of the divisions of a wall that there are something in those divisions like the beginning the several courses and the close of a human life and as in well-conducted lives the hard work and roughing and gaining of strength come first the honour or decoration in certain intervals during their course but most of all in their close so in general the base of the wall which is its beginning of labour will bear least decoration its body more especially those epochs of rest called its string courses but its crown or cornice most of all still in some buildings all these are decorated richly though the last most and in others when the base is well protected and yet conspicuous, it may probably receive even more decoration than other parts. Now, the main things to be expressed in a base are its levelness and evenness. We cannot do better than construct the several members of the base, as developed in figure 2, page 55, each of a different coloured marble, so as to produce marked level bars of colour all along the foundation this is exquisitely done in all the italian elaborate wall bases that of saint anastasia at verona is one of the most perfect existing for play of colour that of giotto's campanile is on the whole the most beautifully finished then on the vertical portions a b c we may put what patterns in mosaic we please so that they be not too rich but if we choose rather to have sculpture, or must have it for want of stones to inlay, then observe that all sculpture on bases must be in panels, or it will soon be worn away, and that a plain panelling is often good without any other ornament. The member B, which in St. Mark's is subordinate, and C, which is expanded into a seat, are both of them decorated with simple but exquisitely finished panelling in red and white or green and white marble and the member e is in bases of this kind very valuable as an expression of a firm beginning of the substance of the wall itself this member has been of no service to us hitherto and was unnoticed in the chapters on construction but it was expressed in the figure of the wall base on account of its great value when the foundation is of stone and the wall of brick coated or not in such cases it is always better to add the course e 
above the slope of the base than abruptly to begin the common masonry of the wall it is however with the member d or x b that we are most seriously concerned for this being the essential feature of all bases and the true preparation for the wall or shaft it is most necessary that here if anywhere we shall have full expression of levelness and precision and farther that if possible the eye should not be suffered to rest on the points of junction of the stones which would give an effect of instability both these objects are accomplished by attracting the eye to two rolls separated by a deep hollow in the member d itself the bold projections of their mouldings entirely prevent the attention from being drawn to the joints of the masonry and besides form a simple but beautifully connected group of bars of shadow which express in their perfect parallelism the absolute levelness of the foundation i need hardly give any perspective drawing of an arrangement which must be perfectly familiar to the reader as occurring under nearly every column of the two numerous classical buildings all over europe but i may name the base of the bank of england as furnishing a very simple instance of the group with a square instead of a rounded hollow both forming the base of the wall and gathering into that of the shafts as they occur while the bases of the pillars of the façade of the british museum are as good examples as the reader can study on a larger scale i believe this group of mouldings was first invented by the greeks and it has never been materially improved as far as its peculiar purpose is concerned the classical attempts at its variation being the ugliest one the using a single roll of larger size as may be seen in the duke of york's column which therefore looks as if it stood on a large sausage the monument has the same base but more concealed by pedestal decoration another the using two rolls without the intermediate cavetto a condition hardly less awkward and which may be studied to advantage in the wall and shaft bases of the athenium clubhouse and another the introduction of what are called fillets between the rolls as may be seen in the pillars of hanover chapel regent street which look in consequence as if they were standing upon a pile of pewter collection plates but the only successful changes have been medieval and their nature will be at once understood by a glance at the varieties given on the opposite page it will be well first to give the buildings in which they occur in order one santa fosca torcello two north transept st mark's venice three nave torcello four nave torcello five south transept st mark's six northern portico upper shafts st mark's seven another of the same group eight cortile of st ambrogio milan nine nave shafts st michel pavia ten outside wall base st mark's venice eleven fondaco di turchi venice twelve nave vienne france thirteen fondaco di turchi venice fourteen ca giustiniani venice fifteen byzantine fragment venice sixteen st mark's upper colonnade 
17. Ducal Palace, Venice, Windows. 18. Caffaliere, Venice. 19. Saint Zeno, Verona. 20. San Stefano, Venice. 21. Ducal Palace, Venice, Windows. 22. Nave, Salisbury. 23. Santa Fosca, Torcello. 24. Nave, Lyon Cathedral. 25. Notre Dame, Dijon. 26. Nave, Bourges Cathedral. 27. Nave, Mortain, Normandy. 28. Nave, Rouen Cathedral. 18 out of the 28 varieties are Venetian, being bases to which I shall have need of future reference. But the interspersed examples, 8, 9, 12, and 19, from Milan, Pavia, Vienne, France, and Verona, show the exactly correspondent conditions of the Romanesque base at the period, throughout the centre of Europe. The last five examples show the changes effected by the French Gothic architects. The Salisbury base, 22, I have only introduced to show its dullness and vulgarity beside them, and 23 from Torcello, for a special reason in that place. The reader will observe that the two bases, 8 and 9, from the two most important Lombardic churches of Italy, St. Ambrogio of Milan and St. Michel of Pavia, mark the character of the barbaric base founded on pure Roman models, sometimes approximating to such models very closely, and the varieties 10, 11, 13, 16 are Byzantine types, also founded on Roman models. But in the bases 1 to 7 inclusive, and still more characteristically in 23 below, there is evidently an original element, a tendency to use the fillet and hollow instead of the roll, which is eminently Gothic, which in the base 3 reminds one even of flamboyant conditions, and is excessively remarkable as occurring in Italian work, certainly not later than the 10th century, taking even the date of the last rebuilding of the Duomo of Torcello, though I am strongly inclined to consider these bases portions of the original church, and I have therefore put the base 23 among the Gothic group to which it has so strong relationship, though, on the last supposition, five centuries older than the earliest of the five terminal examples. And it is still more remarkable because it reverses the usual treatment of the lower role, which is in general a tolerably accurate test of the age of a base in the degree of its projection. Thus, in the examples 2, 3, 4, 5, 9, 10, 12, the lower roll is hardly rounded at all, and diametrically opposed to the late Gothic conditions 24 to 28, in which it advances gradually like a wave preparing to break, and at last is actually seen curling over with the long-backed rush of surf upon the shore. Yet the Torcello base resembles these Gothic ones both in expansion beneath and in depth of Caveto above. There can be no question of the ineffable superiority of these Gothic bases, in grace of profile, to any ever invented by the ancients. 
but they have all two great faults. They seem, in the first place, to have been designed without sufficient reference to the necessity of their being usually seen from above. Their grace of profile cannot be estimated when so seen, and their excessive expansion gives them an appearance of flatness and separation from the shaft, as if they had been splashed out under its pressure. In the second place, their caveto is so deeply cut that it has the appearance of a black fissure between the members of the base. And in the Lyon and Bourges shafts, 24 and 26, it is impossible to conquer the idea suggested by it, that the two stones above and below have been intended to join close, but that some pebbles have got in and kept them from fitting. One is always expecting the pebbles to be crushed, and the shaft to settle into its place with a thunderclap. For these reasons, I said that the profile of the pure classic base had hardly been materially improved. But the various conditions of it are beautiful or commonplace, in proportion to the variety of proportion among their lines and the delicacy of their curvatures. That is to say, the expression of characters like those in the abstract lines in plate 7. The five best profiles in plate 10 are 10, 17, 19, 20, 21. 10 is peculiarly beautiful in the opposition between the bold projection of its upper roll and the delicate levy curvature of its lower, and this and 21 may be taken as nearly perfect types. The one of the steep, the other of the expansive basic profiles. The characters of all, however, are so dependent upon their place and expression that it is unfair to judge them thus separately, and the precision of curvature is a matter of so small consequence in general effect that we do not need here pursue the subject farther. We have thus far, however, considered only the lines of moulding in the member XB, whether of wall or shaft base. But the reader will remember that in our best shaft base, in figure 12, page 78, certain props or spurs were applied to the slope of XB. But now that XB is divided into these delicate mouldings, we cannot conveniently apply the spur to its irregular profile. We must be content to set it against the lower roll. Let the upper edge of this lower roll be the curved line here, A, D, E, B, figure, 59, and see the angle of the square plinth projecting beneath it. Then the spur, applied as we saw in chapter 7, will be of some such form as the triangle CED, figure 59. Now, it has just been stated that it is of small importance whether the abstract lines of the profile of a base moulding be fine or not, because we rarely stoop down to look at them but this triangular spur is nearly always seen from above, and the eye is drawn to it as one of the most important features of the whole base. Therefore, it is a point of immediate necessity to substitute for its harsh right lines, CDCE, some curve of noble abstract character. I mentioned, in speaking of the line of the salvia leaf at page 224, that I had marked off the portion of it, XY, because I thought it likely to be generally useful to us afterwards, and I promised the reader 
that, as he had built, so he should decorate his edifice at his own free will. If, therefore, he likes the above triangular spur, CDE, by all means let him keep it. But if he be on the whole dissatisfied with it, I may be permitted, perhaps, to advise him to set to work like a tapestry bee, to cut off the little bit of line of salvia leaf XY, and try how he can best substitute it for the awkward lines CDCE. He may try it any way that he likes, but if he puts the salvia curvature inside the present lines, he will find the spur looks weak, and I think he will determine at last on placing it as I have done at CDCE, figure 60. If the reader will be at pains to transfer the salvia leaf line with tracing paper, he will find it accurately used in this figure. Then, I merely add an outer circular line to represent the outer swell of the roll against which the spur is set, and I put another such spur to the opposite corner of the square, and we have the half base, figure 60, which is a general type of the best Gothic bases in existence being very nearly that of the upper shafts of the Ducal Palace of Venice. In those shafts, the quadrant AB, or the upper edge of the lower roll, is two feet one and three-eighth inches round, and the base of the spur, DE, is ten inches. The line DE being therefore to AB as ten to twenty-five and three-eighths. In figure sixty, it is as ten to twenty-four the measurement being easier, and the type somewhat more generally representative of the best, i.e. broadest, spurs of Italian Gothic. Now, the reader is to remember, there is nothing magical in salvia leaves. The line I take from them happened merely to fall conveniently on the page, and might as well have been taken from anything else. It is simply its character of gradated curvature which fits it for our use. On plate 11 opposite, I have given plans of the spurs and quadrants of twelve Italian and three northern bases. These latter, thirteen from Bourges, fourteen from Lyon, fifteen from Rouen, are given merely to show the northern disposition to break up bounding lines and lose breadth in picturesqueness. These northern bases look the prettiest in this plate, because this variation of the outline is nearly all the ornament they have, being cut very rudely. But the Italian bases above them are merely prepared by their simple outlines for far richer decoration at the next step, as we shall see presently. The northern bases are to be noted also for another grand error. The projection of the roll beyond the square plinth, of which the corner is seen, in various degrees of advancement, in the three examples. 13 is the base whose profile is number 26 in plate 10, 14 is 24 in the same plate, and 15 is 28. The Italian bases are the following, all except 7 and 10 being Venetian, 1 and 2 upper colonnade St. Mark's, 3 Cafalier, 4 lower colonnade, and 5 transept St. Mark's. 6. From the church of St. John and Paul. 7. From the tomb near St. Anastasia, Verona, described above, page 142. 8 and 9. 
Fondaco di Turchi, Venice. 10. Tomb of Canamastino della Scala, Verona. 11. San Stefano, Venice. 12. Ducal Palace, Venice, Upper Colonnade. The numbers 3, 8, 9, 11 are the bases whose profiles are respectively numbers 18, 11, 13 and 20 in plate 10. The flat surfaces of the basic plinths are here shaded, and in the lower corner of the square occupied by each quadrant is put, also shaded, the central profile of each spur, from its root at the roll of the base to its point, those of numbers 1 and 2 being conjectural, for their spurs were so rude and ugly that I took no note of their profiles, but they would probably be as here given. As these bases, though here, for the sake of comparison, reduced within squares of equal size, in reality belong to shafts of very different size, nine being some six or seven inches in diameter, and six, three or four feet, the proportionate size of the roll varies accordingly, being largest as in nine, where the base is smallest, and in six and twelve, the leaf profile is given on a larger scale than the plan, or its character could not have been exhibited. Now, in all these spurs, the reader will observe that the narrowest are for the most part the earliest. Number two, from the upper colonnade of St. Mark's, is the only instance I ever saw of the double spur, as transitive between the square and octagon plinth. The truncated form, one, is also rare and very ugly. Numbers 3, 4, 5, 7 and 9 are the general conditions of the Byzantine spur. 8 is a very rare form of plan in Byzantine work, but proved to be so by its rude level profile. While 7, on the contrary, Byzantine in plan, is eminently Gothic in the profile. 9 to 12 are from formed Gothic buildings, equally refined in their profile and plan. The character of the profile is indeed much altered by the accidental nature of the surface decoration, but the importance of the broad difference between the raised and flat profile will be felt on glancing at the examples 1 to 6 in plate 12. The three upper examples are the Romanesque types, which occur as parallels with the Byzantine types, 1 to 3 of plate 11. Their plans would be nearly the same, but instead of resembling flat leaves, they are literally spurs, or claws, as high as they are broad. And the third, from St. Michel of Pavia, appears to be intended to have its resemblance to a claw, enforced by the transverse fillet. One is from St. Ambrogio, Milan, two from Vienne, France. The fourth type, plate 12, almost like the extremity of a man's foot, is a Byzantine form, perhaps worn on the edges, from the nave of St. Mark's, and the two next show the unity of the two principles, forming the perfect Italian Gothic types. 5. From tomb of Cansignorio della Scala, Verona. 6. From San Stefano, Venice, the base 11 of plate 11 in perspective. The two other bases, 10 and 12 of plate 11, are conditions of the same kind, 
showing the varieties of rise and fall in exquisite modulation the tenth a type more frequent at verona than venice in which the spur profile overlaps the roll instead of rising out of it and seems to hold it down as if it were a ring held by sockets this is a character found both in early and late work a kind of band or fillet appears to hold and even compress the centre of the roll in the base of one of the crypt shafts of st peter's oxford which has also spurs at its angles and long bands flow over the base of the angle shaft of the ducal palace of venice next the porta della carta when the main contours of the base are once determined its decoration is as easy as it is infinite i have merely given in plate twelve three examples to which i shall need to refer hereafter number nine is a very early and curious one the decoration of the base six in plate eleven representing a leaf turned over and flattened down or rather the idea of the turned leaf worked as well as could be imagined on the flat contour of the spur then ten is the perfect but simplest possible development of the same idea from the earliest bases of the upper colonnade of the ducal palace that is to say the bases of the sea facade and seven and eight are its lateral profile and transverse section finally eleven and twelve are two of the spurs of the later shafts of the same colonnade on the piazzetta side number twelve of plate eleven number eleven occurs on one of these shafts only and is singularly beautiful i suspect it to be earlier than the other which is the characteristic base of the rest of the series and already shows the loose sensual ungoverned character of fifteenth-century ornament in the dissoluteness of its rolling i merely give these as examples ready to my hand and necessary for future reference not as in any wise representative of the variety of the italian treatment of the general contour far less of the endless caprices of the north the most beautiful base i ever saw on the whole is a byzantine one in the baptistry of st mark's in which the spur profile approximates to that of number ten in plate eleven but it is formed by a cherub who sweeps downwards on the wing his two wings as they half close form the upper part of the spur and the rise of it in the front is formed by exactly the action of alichino swooping on the pitch lake quadrizzo volando suso il petto but it requires noble management to confine such a fancy within such limits the greater number of the best bases are formed of leaves and the reader may amuse himself as he will by endless inventions of them from types which he may gather among the weeds at the nearest roadside the value of the vegetable form is especially here as above noted chapter twenty thirty two its capability of unity with the mass of the base and of being suggested by few lines none but the northern gothic architects are able to introduce entire animal forms in this position with perfect success there is a beautiful instance at the north door of the west front of rouen a lizard pausing and curling himself round a little in the angle 
one expects him the next instant to lash round the shaft and vanish and we may with advantage compare this base with those of renaissance scuola di san rocca at venice in which the architect imitating the medieval bases which he did not understand has put an elephant four inches higher in the same position i have not in this chapter spoken at all of the profiles which are given in northern architecture to the projections of the lower members of the base b and c in figure two nor of the methods in which both these and the rolls of the mouldings in plate ten are decorated especially in roman architecture with superadded chainwork or chasing of various patterns of the first i have not spoken because i shall have no occasion to allude to them in the following essay nor of the second because i consider them barbarisms decorated rolls and decorated ogee profiles such for instance as the base at the arc de l'etoile at paris are among the richest and farthest refinements of decorative appliances and they ought always to be reserved for jambs cornices and archivolts if you begin with them in the base you have no power of refining your decorations as you ascend and which is still worse you put your most delicate work on the jutting portions of the foundation the very portions which are most exposed to abrasion the best expression of a base is that of stern endurance the look of being able to bear roughing or if the whole building is so delicate that no one can be expected to treat even its base with unkindness then at least the expression of quiet prefatory simplicity the angle spur may receive such decoration as we have seen because it is one of the most important features in the whole building and the eye is always so attracted to it that it cannot be in rich architecture left altogether blank the eye is stayed upon it by its position but glides and ought to glide along the basic rolls to take measurement of their length and even with all this added fitness the ornament of the basic spur is best in the long run when it is boldest and simplest the base above described eighteen as the most beautiful i ever saw was not for that reason the best i ever saw beautiful in its place in a quiet corner of a baptistry sheeted with jasper and alabaster it would have been utterly wrong nay even offensive if used in sterner work or repeated along a whole colonnade the base number ten of plate twelve is the richest with which i was ever perfectly satisfied for general service and the basic spurs of the building which i have named as the best gothic monument in the world page one four one have no ornament upon them whatever the adaptation therefore of rich cornice and roll mouldings to the level and ordinary lines of bases whether of walls or shafts i hold to be one of the worst barbarisms which the roman and renaissance architects ever committed and that nothing can afterwards redeem the effeminacy and vulgarity of the buildings in which it prominently takes place i have also passed over without present notice the fantastic bases formed by couchant animals which sustain many lombardic shafts the pillars they support have independent bases of the ordinary kind and the animal form beneath 
is less to be considered as a true base, though often exquisitely combined with it, as in the shaft on the southwest angle of the Cathedral of Genoa, than as a piece of sculpture, otherwise necessary to the nobility of the building, and deriving its value from its special positive fulfilment of expressional purposes, with which we have here no concern. As the embodiment of a wild superstition, and the representation of supernatural powers, their appeal to the imagination sets at utter defiance all judgment based on ordinary canons of law, and the magnificence of their treatment atones, in nearly every case, for the extravagance of their conception. I should not admit this appeal to the imagination if it had been made by a nation in whom the powers of body and mind have been languid, but by the Lombard, strong in all the realities of human life, we need not fear being led astray. The visions of a distempered fancy are not indeed permitted to replace the truth or set aside the laws of science, but the imagination, which is thoroughly under the command of the intelligent will, has a dominion indiscernible by science and illimitable by law, and we may acknowledge the authority of the Lombardic griffins in the mere splendour of their presence, without thinking idolatry an excuse for mechanical misconstruction, or dreading to be called upon, in other cases, to admire a systemless architecture, because it may happen to have sprung from an irrational religion. End of chapter 25 Recording by Daniel Fraser